All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Today's sponsor, as always, is MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 12 million people use MailChimp every day to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses. Send better email. Sell more stuff. All right. Thanks to MailChimp again for for sponsoring this podcast. We appreciate uh, them doing that. And we got a great one for you because... I'm Ben Epstein, and, and as always, Mike Prada is my my co-host here, and we had Kyle Newbeck on from Liberty Ballers. It's a Sixers podcast. I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. We focus on Embiid. We talk about when Simmons comes back. There's even a little part where where I apologize for my uh, TJ McConnell hatred So uh, pre, in previous years, because I like him now. So I think you guys will enjoy this if you are Sixers fans or if you enjoy trusting the process. We didn't even say it one time in the entire podcast, so I think you'll enjoy that if you're a national fan too and you just want to hear some good Sixers talk. But before you listen to it, please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. Uh, leave comments, rate and review again are very, very important. The review is awesome to get. So we really appreciate it when you give us uh, your feedback. We do cool stuff like add new intro music because we get that feedback. So please send it our way. You can always send questions. We get to the questions every podcast when we have them. So send those questions to Mike Prada at SBNation.com. That's email. You can also find us on Twitter. That's at Mike Prada, SBN, at limited underscore upside, or at EpiBen. So again, this is the Sixers podcast with Kyle Newbeck from the Liberty Ballers. I think you'll enjoy. Sit back. This is the Limited Upside podcast. Right, the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike. Uh, Ben's over there, and we have a special guest with us to talk about a subject near and dear to Ben's heart. It's Kyle Newbeck from Liberty Ballers. Uh, we're going to talk about the 76ers. And this is an interesting time to talk about the Sixers because one of the gags of this show, I feel like, is Ben gets irrationally excited about the Sixers when they do like one good thing, and then I shove him back to reality when I point out their record and their standing and their last three years. But even I can't shove this back to reality. They're eight and three of their last eleven, eight and one when Embiid plays. So Kyle, man, what's going on? Joel Embiid is the greatest living basketball player on the planet. That's what's going on, I guess. He has been <laughs> Yeah, I figure we should start off on a real hyperbolic note. But no, I mean this kid is we had huge expectations for him in Philadelphia heading into the season, partially because He's been out for so long that all the hype has just been building and building, but not even the rosiest of expectations predicted what we're seeing. He's has a usage rate that I think is like top three in the league behind Westbrook, who is basically Oklahoma City's entire offense and DeMarcus Cousins. And on the other end of the court, he's he's putting up stats that he's putting he's basically a defensive player of the year type player in limited minutes. So I don't know that you could ever have expected that from even like a second or third year player, let alone a guy who's in his rookie season has only played basketball since 2011 and has been off the court for the last two years. Yeah. The way that he's taken over being like, uh, uh, you know, kind of the, the lightning rod of Philadelphia's sports as a city, like he is, he is the Philadelphia athlete right now. And that happened in 28 games as he played 
less than 30, right? Yeah. Like less than half of an NBA season because people just can see the way that he handles himself and the, the way that he uh, brings the crowd into the games from a, an emotional standpoint because he's actually walking the walk before that, right? So he gets the opportunity to, you know, when, when another player gets teed up on the other team, he gets to mock them with technical <laughs> fouls, you know, with his hands gesticulating like that. Oh, yeah. Even though he's a rookie. Like, rookies can't do that, but other teams are even okay. Other coaches aren't complaining about it because he's he's so good. And, and Mike, like, I'm going to I'm gonna go out there and say that LeBron adds, like, 10% to his teammates, maybe more than each of his, you know, of that to his teammates' uh, ability. Embiid's doing something similar to the Sixers, too, because it's a very uh, similar roster to last year when they won 10 games, except for him. Oh, they have some new guys. They have they have a couple. They have have Henderson, you know, and and Ilyasova. They've got uh, and Ilyasova for sure. But but yeah, no, you're right. It's such a bizarre situation uh, to analyze because he's when you say he's adding ten percent, I feel like it's more like for that team, it's like seventy percent because they're basically two different teams. There's like the Embiid team (laughs) that's actually quite good, and then there's the non-Embiid team that's actually very bad. It's it's sort of and it's a bizarre situation because he's only playing twenty eight minutes a game, and so they're almost at least early in the year it was like there were two separate teams, and now it feels more like one team. I. This is weird because now we're talking about whether he's an all-star, and I assume you both think he is. Yeah, I, mean, I wrote about it weeks ago that I thought he was an all-star. I think the the problem he's going to run into now is that the, the coach's selections, as you guys know, are almost always go to the name veterans more than anything. Like I, I don't, I didn't think he was competing against somebody like Carmelo Anthony for a starting spot because he's not having that good of a year. But Carmelo Anthony, in terms of a coach's pick, is a much more likely player to get it. And then you're also dealing with the Paul Millsaps, the Hassan Whitesides, the players like that, that I think have a lot more cachet with the coaches who will make the selections for the reserves. I think he absolutely deserves a spot on the team. But the more I've thought about it, the, the less bullish I am on him actually making the team. What did you make of him being eighth among players? You would think that those would be the player, the guys that would maybe respect that it's really freaking hard to score on him at the basket, you know? Right. Yeah, well, t- so there's a couple of factors there. One, a lot of these guys probably haven't even played against him yet, whether that's guys that he was off because of a back-to-back or just haven't come up in the Sixers schedule yet. Like, they haven't played some of the, the Western Conference teams, so – they're not going to vote for a guy who's playing limited minutes that they've never played against before and have no experience with. And then the, the flip side of that is also, even if you listen to some of the, the former players talk, like the, the crew on inside the NBA and stuff like that, I, I think those guys too have also put a premium on, well, hey, he's only he's only played X amount of games. And to a certain extent, that becomes a self-sustaining narrative, despite the fact that he has played a comparative amount of games to some of the guys who will get serious consideration. Like I know uh, Mark Berman, who I believe is with the post in New York. I'm not sure exactly, but I know he voted for Al Horford as a starter and Al Horford's played, I want to say like three more games than Joel Embiid has. So I, I don't think that that's a, a material enough difference that you could say, yeah, just just by sheer volume alone, that guy deserves it over him. Well, there's also he's played more minutes, Al Horford. Yeah, no, game. but yeah. I, I see what you're saying. It, he has played 30 games, and it's at the point where his. This is what I love about him because there's the one on the one hand, he's like the perfect 
Philly style star. He's got so much personality and you know, people round to him and he's able to do these things that people in Philly will forgive him for because he shows that passion so well. It sounds a lot like previous stars. But on the other hand, for a rookie, and rookies are generally rookie is probably a weird term to use for someone in his third season around the team, but first year playing games, he's so he's so good at some of the stuff that you would think that young players just don't pick up right away. So he's on the one hand like full of personality, on the other hand he's so cerebral. Well, I think that's interesting with the games part. I think it was uh, Michael Levin may have said this on Twitter, but uh, what if there was just no public disclosure about the plan, right? That it wasn't supposed to be, there was no mini- minutes con- you know, restriction. He was just playing 20 in a game, right? And that there was no, like, obviously sitting out the back end, but it was just precautionary rest, you know, on a case-by-case basis. Then I think the narrative might be a little bit different, too, about the minutes because he's just playing maybe what a rookie would be playing, right? If, if you're going to say he's a rookie center in the NBA, maybe 28 minutes, it makes sense. Maybe well, he shouldn't that, be playing I feel like that work against him, though. I think then you? then it would then you'd have some people saying like well he must not be playing that much for a reason like what is what is it what are we missing like he'd be basically be Nick Jokic who we all love but no it's not going to get all-star consideration well, yeah, because Jokic came on really strong in the last couple of weeks if he'd been playing this way the entire season he would be getting well, so all-star consideration yeah, and Bede has been playing this well all season. That's why he is getting All Star consideration. It also helps that there's like no the the East front court options are pretty weak. You know, I think that sure that I, certainly I, helped I, his case as well. I'll concede it's not as deep as the West, but I, I mean, there are a lot of ways to to look at this. I think you mentioned the two teams thing. It's also that there are other like blue chip ish young bigs behind him that just comparatively, when you watch Noel or Okafor play, they look they look. Poor, you know. I mean, Noel has attributes that that are distinct in his own right, but uh, you know, he makes them look smaller and unathletic when they are athletic and big. Um, and there's just these little things that you see game in and game out. Um, I, I know this has been mentioned, um, you know, kind of in the last couple weeks, but his passing has now become like an asset. And these are things that you know, in the preseason, two and a half months ago, because everything about his ability is in these windows and pockets. It's actually so small. Um, you know, Kyle, you mentioned that he started playing basketball in 2011. So with that in mind, in the last couple months, he's learned how to pass well and pass out <laughs> of double teams. You know, things like this are, are um, in a microscope or in a vacuum are incredible. But then you're seeing it right before your eyes. Like what has impressed you the most developmentally about him from game one until now? So and I wrote about this already, but the, his defensive awareness, I know everybody when you talk about defense for big men tends to focus mostly on the shots that they actually block, because you can quantify that. You can look back on that and compare that against different people. But to me, it's the plays that he snuffs out before they even really develop just by having his head up and being in the right position. And you can, you can go back through Sixers games and see it all the time. When he is on the court, opposing teams don't even want to come into the paint. Like they, their guys settle for mid range or they, they have to take, contested jump shots from three when normally like they're they're guys like even against Toronto people like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry who are excellent at penetrating through defenses and getting shots at the rim just didn't even try to go down there and the most striking part of that is as soon as somebody else comes in the game most particularly when it's Julio Okafor when he's getting minutes teams immediately it's like sharks to blood in the water and they go right at the rim because they know hey this is our non-embed stretch we really have to take advantage of this and when him and noel have been the the two primary big men they've been 
cutting off teams in the paint a lot. Like I, I think against against Boston, Boston scores in I want to say the low to mid forties points in the paint per game, and they might have eclipsed. They might have been in like the low twenties. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're just taking that that avenue out for opposing offenses, which to me, for a couple of young big guys to be able to do that almost single-handedly is amazing because it's other than Robert Covington and more recently TJ McConnell it's not like the Sixers are playing a ton of defensively stout guys in this rotation you're playing Ersan Ilyasova you're playing Nick Stauskas you're playing guys like that who uh, are at different levels between uh, a revolving door and a cardboard (laughs) cutout on defense so uh, the the defensive awareness and just that yes the the (laughs) the ability to read plays is the most impressive thing to me aside from what we've seen develop almost in real time this season sure mike what about you i know you've been following the the defensive part of his game closely as well yeah i mean i was that's exactly what I th- would say as well. It's it's pretty amazing that when when you run a pick and roll at him, I think with a lot of big guys, it's sort of hard to balance. You know, you lunge out too far towards the ball, or you give up too much space, which is sort of like the like the Trailblazers mode of defense all year. But he has a great ability to walk that balance. You know, he can he stays near the basket, but that mid range pull up is not that is contested, and there's no way to kind of break him down. And you look at this recent stretch and some of the teams they played, Kemba Walker, 7 of 23 from the field. Isaiah Thomas shot only 14 times and had seven turnovers. You know, that was a, a rough game. Uh, I guess Kyle Lowry only had 13 shots. He got to the line a lot, uh, so there's that. Cesar McCollum goes 5 of 18. They're holding these teams that are guard-based, like Portland, uh, like Toronto, like Charlotte, to, what, 93, 92, this level of points. And it is like you said, Kyle, it's not like – they have great uh, kind of pests on the perimeter, but they can just play up on these guys because they know Embiid is able to kind of shut down the paint. Again, not just in terms of his verticality, which is quite impressive, but also in terms of when you run that pick and roll, there's no way that you can get an advantage because he's jabbing and in your face. And so he knows how to use his size. It is pretty amazing how little development he has. I wonder if that's an advantage for him that he has not learned the bad habits that Joel Okafor got away with in high school. I mean, that, that's a good question. Um, and there's also just uh, the little things he does. His feet are constantly moving. It's almost like a good quarterback, bad quarterback situation. Um, you know, when you, when you watch Brady, God, I hate using these analogies, but like just Tom Brady analogies. Sorry, Boston. (laughs) Would you do uh, Aaron Rodgers? Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers is great, too. But Brady, particularly because he's not a great athlete, but because his feet are always moving, he can adjust at that last second to make a pass when it does become open or when he wants to throw a guy open. Um, And and Embiid's feet are always moving, too. Like, I I don't think there's enough spoken about the just when you grow up maybe in Cameroon that the first sports aren't natural American sports and that can really help you so like soccer and volleyball are things that are really really good for your footwork and your second jump and your third jump and your your anticipation of the ball and like deflections and like things that are really important for basketball that if you do have a high basketball acumen and then you do pick up the game of basketball you're you know predisposed to be better at it and you've already got those athletic skills built into your package and like he does a lot of volleyball things in the basketball court, specifically with his verticality, his ability to block with both hands. Um, you know, one of my favorite plays in the entire season, I forget who he blocked and which game specifically, but there was a play where a guy was going from right to left underneath the basket for a reverse, and he jumped from the right side but blocked the ball with his left hand on the left side of the basket. Um, Kyle, you remember that? 
Yes, I do, but I'm also blanking on who it was. Yeah. So it's going to drive me nuts now. Yeah, great yeah. play though. But yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, the ability to block with both hands is very impressive. Like, it, not yeah. everybody can do that. And Noel does that too, which is you know also to his credit, um, impressive. Um, so I mean, so Embiid is is special, and I'm glad that we got to mention McConnell briefly because I I guess I should have a public apology. I was pretty vocal about how awful I thought he was. Well, at least to last me. Year and, <laughs> uh, maybe not on the so. air. <laughs> I, uh, maybe I heard a no, lot from on you the air, about it. <laughs> I was never. What's that? I heard a lot from you about it. I don't know if we, if it ever like got to the podcast waves. Oh, it probably did. I, I imagine I've said it at some point. I know on Twitter I probably said some stuff, but he's been really good lately. And I think maybe it's because part part of that is uh, Sergio plays no defense, so when TJ comes in, he's he's a much better defender. But um. I don't know. I've been really impressed with his finishing around, like kind of the free throw and in range. He's more confident. He's actually looking for the finish, which I think probably has helped. Um, Kyle, what, what have you seen from TJ McConnell that may be helping the entire team, including Embiid, uh, as of the last couple of weeks? Well, you got into some of it. I think just the fact that he's an upgrade from Sergio Rodriguez by existing on the defensive <laughs> end is is a big thing, and I, th- that might be underselling him on defense a little bit. I think TJ McConnell certainly is tenacious on the defensive end and he can make some basic switches and do some things that Sergio Rodriguez either doesn't care to do or gets lost while trying to do so on that end that has been a big help at at the point of the point of attack for the Sixers especially because as we already said they're, they're not exactly swimming in defensive toughness outside of the big men spot other than that I, I do think that Part of the reason he's been able to take his game to the next level is because he has looked for his shot. And I don't know how much of that is because he hit that game winner and maybe that gives him a little boost to say, hey, I I can be a guy that the team can rely on to get offense down the the stretch in tight games. Because one of the things that drives me nuts about watching him play is he'll get to the get into the paint and have a shot at the rim. And he looks like so small compared to the guys he's down there against, whether it's the big men or opposing forwards or what have you. And he doesn't even look to take a shot at the rim and attempt it. He'll, he's kicking it out. He's, and that's, he gets a lot of assists that way, but in previous seasons, there was not even a single thought toward getting a shot there. And if you're not a threat to score at the rim, once you get into the paint and you're, I don't want to say uncontested, but but at least lightly contested, then opposing defenses are just going to sag onto your shooters and make sure that you have no open passing lanes. And it's going to turn into you dribbling in circles like we're watching Hoosiers or something. So <laughs> I, I think that's been a, a big part of it. I, I think he's... And I, I hate saying all these things about like the it's such a stereotype with like the scrappy white point guard. But he is mm-hmm. already he is sort of a, reference. Yeah, he is sort of a, a, a <laughs> natural true. leader. Like he gets into it with his teammates. Him and uh, Dario Saric have a bit of a, a friendly. I don't even want to say friendly, but a, a mixed rivalry. They, they scream at each other sometimes. It's like a, a brotherly love sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. having a guy who's a, a, a fiery competitor like that, I, I don't think ever hurts either. I like it. Brotherly love. Well done. Was, yeah. I, did you intend yeah. to do that? <laughs> yes, I did. Trust the friendship. Right? Or at least I will let you believe that. I, I don't yeah. think you did. Uh, it probably <laughs> helped his confidence going against Carmelo Anthony at the end of the game, TJ McConnell. That must have made yeah. it feel pretty good. It yeah. must be nice when nobody's blocking your shot. Uh, so, yeah. I, if I, Porzingis I, was sort of around there, too. Yeah. Well, he's already had his soul sucked out from the Knicks, so I, I forgive him <laughs> for that. Uh, I, I want to get bad back, for him, too. 
Yeah, I want to get back to Embiid real quick, though, um, just because as much as I'm riveted by this TJ McConnell discussion, like I'm much more interested <laughs> yeah, go ahead, in Embiid. Uh, so he's on a minutes limit now, 28 minutes a game uh, minimum, uh, and he's usually filling up that 28 minutes, right? It's not like he's yeah. falling short. And so one of the things I wonder about is, you know, you look at the way his production this time, and it's just off the charts in terms of points, rebounds, assists, shooting percentage, you know, we're looking at like on a rate stat number. He's there's only like two guys in NBA history that have ever been this productive, right? New two centers. You were talking like prime Ewing, prime David Robinson, right? That's basically where we're at. So production wise, he's been off the charts in this time. You know, we've seen usually that when players get more minutes, they actually continue to produce counting stats at about the same rate. So I think it's fair to say that if he were to play in this hypothetical world that he could play. 36 frontline minutes a game, he can maintain that production. One of the things I wonder about is all this stuff that we talk about with what he can do uh, cerebral-wise on the defensive end, some of these just mental strengths that you can do, some of the way he reads the game. Is that going to hold up when he's playing more minutes and he's going to have to worry a little more about foul trouble and fatigue and all that? Is there a concern? I, I, I wonder about that. Not that I don't think he could, but that to me seems like the next test for him. So I, I do think that that's a real concern and something that they should be monitoring. But one of the the natural advantages he'll have is by the time his minutes limit goes up, he's going to be ceding some of the control on offense to Ben Simmons and whoever they add in the draft this offseason and free agency. They're, they're definitely going to be adding some guys who are more ball dominant and more primary creators on offense. Whereas right now it's basically, hey, we need to get Embiid the ball and work the ball through him, and that's it. And I know that he's talented enough and skilled enough already that that's a, a feasible way for them to play offense. But I think long-term, you're going to want to see a lot more of Joel Embiid as the role man or the pop man in a pick-and-roll play with Ben Simmons or one of the guards or point-forward type players that they would take in the draft this offseason. I think – he'll be asked to do less, at least from a, a usage perspective on offense, which I think will be good for him. I do still think he can produce at a, at a high level, even if he is not as heavily involved as the guy who's creating the offense. And that will allow him to exert as much energy as he is on the defensive end on a, a higher minutes limit. Uh, that would that would be my hope anyway, because I think Ben Simmons is going to have the ball in his hands a lot once he comes back. Yeah, you'd think you'd think so. Uh, I, I, a few things, I guess, on this. Um, all right, first of all, the other night when, when he got hurt originally and his knee tweaked a little bit, he should never have come back in. Okay. That was Agreed. absurd that he came back in. It flies in the face of, like, it was antithetical, not just to the process, but to what the trainers are doing with him on a minute-by-minute basis right now, right? This is, this is against Portland, yes. Yeah, against Portland, but also just like winning doesn't matter yet. And it, it because it doesn't really matter yet, then we shouldn't be valuing like the, the next decade of the obvious best player on the team and the franchise player to come back in on something where you just really can't be sure. It looked bad unless they went back and analyzed the replay and then looked at his leg. And then he, you know, he passed some series of, uh, of MRIs or whatever, like, which didn't happen in the minute and a half and a half. Um, 
then he shouldn't have come back in. So so there's that. But I also hey, think hey hey, Embiid did say playoffs are still in reach. They're coming. Yeah, I, right. But like, <laughs> great. That's awesome. And he should he should always be the spokesperson. Should, Jimmy Rollins did that way back when, and it worked out great for the Phillies. He did it in spring training though. But All anyhow, right. Embiid saying that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Embiid saying that was 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 great, and I'm 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 happy that he is saying that, but that still shouldn't matter to the trainers and to uh, Colangelo and everybody else making the decisions uh, based upon that. And I'll say this: in theory, and I think Kyle nailed it. As the team gets better and the workload decreases, because there are guys like Simmons, there are guys like the guard who they'll probably draft uh, within uh, you know within. Uh, this draft coming up in the, with one of their first top 10 picks uh, they have this year, um, then there's just the idea that uh, hopefully Noel can continue to be a backup center or Okafor could be the backup center. So you have someone you can rely on for 20 minutes a game um, that he shouldn't have to play as hard as he does for all 35 minutes that he ends up playing. But it still scares the hell out of me. He has a bunch of moves that he needs to retire right now, even though they're great. <laughs> oh, yeah? Just so he can survive. Yeah, man. He he can't keep doing the the, the like top of the key three pointer dive play um consistently you know he just leaves his whole body way too exposed to contact and to aerial assault you know he probably should stop diving into the stands too I've, I've seen oh my that. god he probably should maybe chill on that but you know what youthful exuberance it should be noted yeah but it should be noted real quick though he hit the ground four times in the quarter that he also hurt his knee the other night against Portland. He was just on the floor. There was like three plays in a row. He took offensive foul or fouls while setting screens where he hit the floor. And you're just like watching it every single time. And that's, again, that's a volleyball thing. You hit the floor a lot in volleyball, diving for stuff. So he's pretty good at falling. Did he play volleyball? I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, man. Okay. I didn't realize and that. His parents, are, his parents were like national team players that played professionally in France and stuff. Man, like he's, he's from a family of athletes. I mean, it's, you know. Guys like Embiid yeah. don't just sprout out of nowhere. Oh, but smarter you to um, dig that up. Ha, 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 ha. All right. Uh, come on. <laughs> with, with, that, <laughs> with that pun, uh, let's take a quick break. I want to talk after the, the break. I want to talk about some bigger picture Sixers items, what this means for the future. We'll be right back. This episode of Limited Upside is brought to you by MailChimp. 12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they are the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you can target the right people with the right products. It's MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff.
All right, we're back. And Kyle, you were you were mentioning this earlier. What what happens to Joel Embiid when Ben Simmons comes back? So Ben Simmons now looks like right after the All Star game is when he's coming back from his foot injury. So let's expand on that a little more. Like what what do we ex- what should Sixers fans expect from Ben Simmons uh, in the last I guess two months of the season? So I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but I do have to say I think the team will take a a, a short like a step back in the immediate term just because they're going to be implementing someone that they're running a lot of the offense through who also happens to be a rookie who will be playing effectively point guard for the team and that is just a, a big shock to not just for him but for the entire rotation and part of the reason that they've had this surge as of late is because they've settled into an understanding both the, the starters and the backups of what their roles are going to be so he is going to come in and upend that a little bit but the flip side of that is also what we sort of discussed with Embiid that Simmons is going to take a large burden off of Embiid's shoulders. He's going to okay. create offense for Embiid and get him oop attempts and just post him, get have throw good entry passes where Embiid can just seal his guy off and dunk the ball and get him easy buckets. Whereas right now, Embiid is creating a lot of those opportunities by himself. And really the big question is, how good is Ben Simmons's jump shot going to be, or is his jump shot going to exist at all? Because I think the bigger problem when he was at LSU was not that he couldn't shoot, it's that he did not shoot. And that's almost, that to me is a much bigger problem. If teams know that you just have no interest in taking attempts from beyond the three-point line, or even from deep mid-range, they'll, they'll sag all the way into the paint on you. And when the, the best player on your team currently is a big man who would thrive with extra space, that becomes a problem. So right. I think that they're going to have to navigate that that balance of, yes, we want the ball in Simmons' hands and we want him and Embiid to, to work through this synergy but we also have to make sure that they're maybe they, the way they mitigate that is Ben Simmons was really good on post ups at LSU and and B can shoot a little bit so you can play Simmons nominally inside for a bit post him up kick to Embiid get the ball moving the, the Sixers play a, a heavy ball movement offense already so maybe that's what they'll do somewhat if if it becomes a problem I'm interested to see how exactly they use the the two of them together to start. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, they're both – well, the, I guess I should start that over. The one thing that I know Simmons can do real well and that Embiid is learning to do better is find the open guy. And realistically, just what you said, if Simmons can't prove that he can score, then there will be far less open guys because you can just stick to your player. You don't have to worry about the fact that Embiid is going to hit shots if you don't send that double team. You really can't leave a guy exposed against him one-on-one. Um, and I, I think one of the interesting parts that Simmons is going to uh, to change is a fast break component that they don't get a ton of fast break points. Right. Um, and you know he is a one-man fast break. Um, that, that alone should open the game up a little bit. There's space within that with just uh, kind of secondary breaks, which Embiid should be really good at. He runs the court well. He catches the ball well in transition. So there's components of the game that I think will make more sense once we see it live. Um, those those types of more theoretical things like, you know, secondary breaks, um, which is a, a hallmark of Kansas basketball, if you're a Kansas basketball fan out there, um, uh, which Embiid played in that system. So, you know, there's that. But I think the other thing with Simmons that uh, maybe you were – 
that I watched and I'm sure you watched was, you know, he makes some passes that just don't exist yet. You know, he's, yeah. he sees the court in a way that, and visually from being his height, but also just from, from a point guard standpoint, but TJ McConnell and Sergio Rodriguez don't, you know, he's going to make shots for guys that they didn't know they had. The guys currently can't, and he can't be that much worse of a shooter or shot maker than TJ McConnell. Uh, no offense to TJ, but TJ is a much better guy to come off the bench and throw alley-oops to Nerlens in a really pesky defensive second unit. You know, like there are, there are pluses to this all over the, the team, but I think you're right. In the short run, it's going to take some time to adjust, and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting court spacing difference to have another six foot ten guy out there with your seven foot two guy. Yeah, it will be interesting in part because one of the things I've always wondered about with Simmons, uh, worried about a little bit, is that he's sort of like a, you got to play my way to get the best out of me, or it just doesn't work type of guy. And so then you toss in that the Sixers right now are sort of like a, we're playing Joel Embiid's way, and we can't do it any other way, and that's why it's working. You know, it, it, it'll be some friction. Also, it's hard as a rookie to come in, you know, second half of the year and hit the ground running. I mean, there's just so much you have to learn about the league. So that'll be really interesting to watch uh from a very practical standpoint who's who's gonna be benched to make room for Simmons is he gonna play the one and then you're just gonna put shooting around him like what how is that gonna work right now so I I think the interesting thing about Simmons is because he's a 610 hopeful point guard you're going to be able to experiment with a lot of funky lineups Uh, I know Brett Brown has played somebody like a Nick Stauskas as a nominal point guard at times this year when they've been light in the rotation. But I think a player like that, and that's why they signed Jared Bayless in the offseason, despite the fact that he got injured and is now out for the rest of the year, playing guards like that that are more combo combo guards, you can play them as your the guys who's going to defend opposing point guards and just put more shooters on the court. So that's one way you'll be able to alleviate the stress of Simmons not quite being there as a jump shooter yet. The other interesting wrinkle with Simmons being added to the lineup is that between he and Embiid, they should be an elite rebounding team on both ends because Simmons is one of the best rebounders for at his position in college basketball. Joel Embiid was a, an elite defensive rebounder in college and to some extent in limited minutes has been as a member of the Sixers. So I think more and more now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that rebounding should be a huge strength just with those two on the court. And so they can mitigate having guys who are weak at that position all over the rest of the court. And as long as you put shooters around those two, I think you can do almost anything you want to do with lineups, which is that's it's an exciting possibility for Brett Brown, who's really been pigeonholed into doing he's only had one way to do things for the last three plus years now and now he's going to be able to really put his thinking hat on and see what he can come up with yeah speaking speaking of the thinking hat that's the other sort of interesting uh thing going on with the Sixers now is that they still have not solved that big man log jam Neurons Noel is now the backup uh Joel Okafor now is basically like the the Embiid replacement on those back-to-backs, the sacrificial lamb that gets thrown out when the Sixers know they can't win and otherwise he's not really playing very much and so but he's why they can't win though that's the thing right it's sort of the reason well they're looking at it right like they're they use okafor in the games they they know they're not going to win anyway and doesn't preserve their draft position and couch it as a minutes limit problem sorry that's probably really mean to julio Okafor. but anyway they still have this this log jam it's much nicer than most of philadelphia is to julio Okafor right now so 
part of me feels a little uncomfortable about this, right? Like, so he's a second-year player. He's still really yeah. young, and he's still, you know, he puts up numbers. Like, I, I know why he puts up numbers, and I know why he is still an awful player otherwise. But, you know, in any other situation where if you had a second-year big man that on a bad team that was averaging – uh, what is he? I'm looking up exactly what he's averaging uh, per 36 minutes. He's, you know, he's averaging 17 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per 36 minutes. Like he's still putting up numbers. And, you know, he's had above average PRs the last few years. You know, obviously he doesn't do anything else. Like you would say, what? Like, oh, you know what? Like there are problems in his game, but he's still young. He could still develop. Like he'll. These are things we can work on. But in this situation, it's not the case. So. What do you do about this now? I mean, is Noel now staying? Is are we looking to move Okafor? Like, what's the answer here? So we need to get we need to get Michael Wilbaum to to get uh, uh, an NBA franchise, and then we can trade Joel Okafor to him because he doesn't you know he just showed numbers. All numbers matter. And we need we need a really old school guy who is very public <laughs> about the fact that analytics are stupid to take over an NBA team, and then we'll have a trading partner. But you know, until then, that's going to be a big issue. You just mentioned it, Mike. His his glaring flaws. So go, go ahead, Kyle. I want you to take that on a much more sophisticated level. I was like, you know, I'm just throwing in my two cents that as the Sixers continue to add to our analytics team, which they did over the past couple of weeks with new hires. Yeah, they have uh, nine so new team analytics team teams. Not nine analytics people full time. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah that full-time. is that is a lot of analytics people. I know, and that's the Sixers. A, a, a revenge of the nerds. We've taken over. Answer my question in a bit. No, ben, I, am, I, I do like to hear from other people, too, because I feel like it, uh, it becomes an echo chamber at some point with sure. Philadelphia people because everyone digs in and they have their position. The, the, the Noel versus Okafor battles have been real and intense the last couple of years, and it's, it's really been a disservice to both guys. And, like, I do feel bad for... Okafor especially because he came in and he was immediately compared to Kristaps Porzingis, who was the guy taken immediately after him, played in New York, so not that far away, and had a great rookie season. He's having a he's had a bit of a down year this year for reasons that are not really his fault, but he's was still if the Sixers had Porzingis, they would be in an infinitely better position today than they are right now. They wouldn't have it wouldn't be a log jam. You would have your two long term big guys there and they would be they would consume small ball single handedly. So on one hand, <laughs> Jaleel Okafor is dealing with that problem. But the flip side of that is also that just defensively, he's just not good enough. And the center position, you have to be able to, even if you're not blocking shots, you have to be able to bother opposing ball handlers in pick and roll situations. And he, a lot of time, his big problem is away from the ball defense. There, He just, yep. his awareness is really poor and he falls asleep. There, A guy will get to the rim and he'll be just turning around as, Giannis Antetokounmpo is dunking the ball like that's and that's that's every game that he plays you see several moments like that and yes I do think that he can get better and what part of the why I feel bad for him is I do think he's a a good kid I've I've interviewed him before I've met him multiple times I've talked to people around the team and everyone has glowing things to say about him as a a person and I like you don't want to pile on him he is a young kid who can get a lot better at basketball but when you see how the team plays when they have defensive anchors at the center position despite the fact that Nerlens Noel hasn't played very well lately just having a guy who with his defensive skill set in this team has helped the Sixers 
a ton. So yep. I don't know that that has changed the Sixers' philosophy on how they're going to handle this moving forward because I still think you have a problem as far as the the payment situation this summer. I think a team like the Brooklyn Nets, who is stuck and doesn't have draft picks, will look at a free agent like Nerlens Noel and think, well, why wouldn't we just go out and offer him a ton of money and hope he signs an offer sheet with us and pressure the Sixers into not matching? I, I do think that, that they have to plan for that and know that that's on the horizon. But as far as who fits better with this program and this team and how they're set up moving forward, I think Nerlens Noel is a, a no-brainer as the backup. Yeah, so so this is where my, my thought goes immediately, which is that uh, – I, you know, I have a bunch of friends, again, who live within your same echo chamber. They still live in, in Philadelphia. They listen to this podcast. And and they'd be the first ones to, where the argument would, would say is, like, is 20 points a game from a center even remotely valuable if that same center allows for, what, 50 points in the paint each game? And yeah. the answer is no. It's it's always going to be no because, like you said, the value of the center position defensively. But but not just that. It's that the Sixers, and I think we talked about this earlier in the podcast, they run a, a – a high volume of passing motion offense that is the opposite of the way that Jalil Okafor fits into an offense, but actually is good for Noel, who's a better passer and a much more willing screener. And even Okafor's screen game is awful for someone with the body build he has. He should be able to block out the sun and roll and open up, and there should always be an opportunity, but that, that doesn't exist. He he lacks the um, kind of like the team offense components that a lot of other you know, bigs have, um, you know, in comparison to like maybe a, a Jokic or something um, happening has, in Denver. Like every Everyone big man has. has. I mean, he, he, his, it's almost like he has like an automatic uh, kind of lever on him to, to try to look to score. You know, right. It's almost on right. autopilot. But, some of the stuff he does, he's just this all he's thinking about. But you think that's, I think that's part of the environment situation though. And this has been spoken of a lot, but you know, that's always been his role on teams. And, and as, Someone who is way too young to be set in his professional ways. He seems to be there at this moment, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to sell so quickly on a guy like that. Still, um, you know, maybe may, maybe the reality of his career as an NBA player being no longer based upon can he get twenty, but what can he do defensively will change his offseason routine, change the way he handles himself, and in, in, in how he, uh, you know works on the game and what what parts of the game he tries to, to enhance um, because maybe that'll be a reality check. Maybe that's what this offseason is. And then there's that dichotomy of the control factor where we, we just really don't have as much control over what the fate of Noel on the franchise is because where we're at, knowing Embiid is the guy and also knowing that, just like you said, there's there's the Nets who are a team who might for sure take an op- or swing at, at a guy like that. There's also plenty of other teams who look at a guy like Noel to maybe complement an offensive center who they already have. Um, maybe in Boston, something like that. So there's there's opportunities for Noel elsewhere where I don't even know if there are any other opportunities for for Okafor. But what you cannot do is this this thing where Okafor plays once every you know seven eight days. It's just not good for him, and right. it's not good for his development value for us or any you know anyone else. Yeah. See, I I think at this point they almost need to sort of because he still is only in his second year. They may need to just buy some goodwill, move him to a team that may be able to help him more. And cause it just doesn't fit. And, you know, even with Noel, right? Like, so if they have to re-sign Noel at a big number this year, they probably still could. Like, it's not like they're out of cap space. And you could trade that later. You know, it, I guess the question is, do you still consider Noel an asset at a new salary? And I guess that would depend. But sure, I mean, I think at this, it's just sad to me 
like he's just not going to get where you want him to be in this in this spot. You know, guys don't start to change their games until there's a real they've been on stops two, three, or whatever, and they realize that they have no choice. You know, it just doesn't happen. So yeah, I, and Rashawn Holmes can't play, and Rashawn Holmes needs to play. I'm sorry, I say that too much on this podcast, but Rashawn yeah. Holmes needs to play too. Did he finally? He played that. his first minutes last night since December fourteenth, I think. So oh, wow, over really? a month, which yeah, it's crazy. And he's been going back and forth to Delaware to the D League team because they yeah. just they got to keep him active and moving. I mean, he's a, he's a young player. They got to find minutes for him, and that's that's the real shame of it. And Brian Colangelo has been very vocal in making sure people know that Holmes is part of this equation too, and that because they appreciate. And I know the fans don't get to see this part of it, but they appreciate the work that he puts in during practice and after practice that despite the fact that he's not getting minutes, he's showing up and coming to work. And part of that is just he has to. He's a a second round pick who's on a a, a very small salary that he can't really afford. There's very little margin for error for him, whereas with Julio Okafor, he's going to be able to at least get through this rookie contract and figure it out after that. So th- th- there's a lot going on with this team. I, I do think for the sake of everybody involved that they, they need to do something because it's it's not really fair to any of them. So let's talk a bit about Brian Colangelo uh, at this point. I, I'm curious where Sixers fans are with what he's done so far because so much of what has powered the streak is not really Colangelo's direct doing, right? I mean, Embiid was the hinky pick that Sam made, even though he knew that he was going to have injury issues, and that looks quite good right now. And we all know Philadelphia's opinions on what Hinky did and how he has set up this team for the future. But <laughs> so far, what it Colangelo really hasn't done that much other than, you know, they trade for a couple of veterans. There's now all these rumors that they want to pursue a veteran point guard. Uh, Drew Holiday returning was always was came out recently, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, you know, he's in a he's sort of in a good position because he has all this that Sam has given him. But like what what will convince Sixers fans that he's doing a good job? Like, what does he need to do to sort of because I do sense still that there's still he still hasn't won the fan base over all the way. Yeah, well, part of that is a lot of the rumors in the offseason, they were tied to trades that I don't think the Sixers fans would have been happy with at the time. For example, there was a rumor that popped up sometime in the summer that they were going to trade Nerlens Noel for Jeff Teague. And that that to a lot of people <laughs> was like the worst type of signal because and that's no disrespect to Jeff Teague as a player. I think Jeff Teague's a, a pretty good player would have definitely been an upgrade for the Sixers at the guard spot, but he's in his, what is he in his early thirties, I believe, or late twenties, at least last year would have contract as well. Yeah. So he would have been an unrestricted free agent on a team like the Sixers. They would have had to massively overpay a guy like Jeff T to get him to stay because Jeff T he would have had offers in other places and they would have had to pay him a ton of money. So because the Sixers and whether this is fair or unfair, because Colangelo's Sixers were tied to potential deals like that in the offseason. I think a lot of people are still expecting him to make a quote unquote bad deal or a short sighted deal with whether it's the big men, whether it's the, the Lakers pick that they own this year, I think is probably more on the trade market than it would have been under Sam Hinkie. I think someone like Hinkie, yeah. he would have held on to that unless there was a chance to get 
a, a Jimmy Butler type level player or a Paul, not saying these guys are available, but that would have been ammunition for those sort of deals and not for maybe like a, a mid, more mid-level type player. So I, I don't think that Brian Colangelo necessarily should necessarily should be distrusted. I think what he's done so far has been fine, but some of the things that he's saying and some of the underlying signs have been troubling. So I, I think a lot of us around here are just reserving judgment until he makes his first big commitment and big decision sometime within the next, let's say, six months or so. Well, it's funny is he doesn't have to do anything for the team to continue to go. Right. They can grow organically. That's sort of the the thing that I think is weird about this is that, you know, he really we talk about like, let's wait to see when he makes a decision. But like in some ways, the best decision he can make is to make no decision. Yeah, that's right, Mike. I think I was going to say, I think people right now, at least from uh, being in New York in a more national Sixers perspective, per se, even though I watch every game, uh, is that he's doing well because he isn't doing anything. And I think the inaction was a good, was because exactly what Kyle said, the, some of the rumors were really troubling. Like I didn't want Marcus smart at any point. I didn't want Jeff Teague. These are players I didn't really want on the team. Um, and, uh, um, and so knowing that that was the types of names that we were peddling around that would get us right to that eight seed where you just don't want to be right now. Um, well, not, maybe that's not even necessarily true at this point, but the idea is that, uh, I didn't love the direction that the offseason was being spoken of, but the, now we're here and that we can add Ben Simmons midseason. Great acquisition right there. Well done. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that that we didn't even mention him, but Dario Saric is getting better by the week. I mean, he's becoming a, a Philadelphia favorite. He already is one of the most popular players in the city, again, in any sport. These are the personalities of the city of Philadelphia right now. It's like, you know, uh, a quarterback from North Dakota with almost no personality and then a Croatian guy and a Cameroonian guy. Like, tremendous. That's great you know, diversity. Couldn't be better. Uh, multiculturalism of Philadelphia. Uh, but Couldn't be better. Yeah, I mean, Charge, um, though, also a Sam Hinkie draft pick. Sam Hinkie guy, very much so, was part of the Alfred Payton trade. Sort of another Hinkie validation waiting for a while. That That's why this is so... Odd to me. It's like the, if the best thing that a new GM can do is to not screw up what the old GM set up, then why, of course, did you fire the old GM? And so that's <laughs> right. sort of a weird. The Ilyasova like, <laughs> trade was good. We didn't mention that, but I thought that getting Ilyasova for Jeremy Grant has worked out well. I think Ilyasova is a nice player to to complement to the the current roster. Well, Jeremy so Grant's that was, playing well that was in Clangelo, Oklahoma right? City. Yeah, yeah, that was a good win win trade because I think Jeremy Grant's playing well in Oklahoma City. But yeah, yes, you're right. Never would have happened. Yeah, I- I think where that changes if is if Colangelo gives Ilyasova twenty million dollars a year in the <laughs> offseason. That's where that's when people will start to say, "Oh, hey, maybe don't do that." He's not going to get twenty so, million. Uh, he's not going to get year. that much money. But yeah, I'm just for the sake of argument. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, because it's definitely on the table, and that right there is a good microcosm. Uh, Prada, by the way, of, of what it feels like to be a Sixers fan is that you have to keep in the back of your mind that that terrible thing could happen to this relatively nice story. Well, um. I was thinking that there are, the other terrible thing would have been that if NB got hurt again, but I see you're thinking in a different light first. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. Even so. as we, we do a full podcast like about the Sixers midseason, which we would never have done in the previous years we've done this podcast. Uh, for a number of reasons, m- m- uh, Mike chief among them. Um, yeah, sorry. But even the fact that even that we <laughs> we're not talking about a ten and seventy two team for a whole show. <laughs> exactly, sorry. it's and not I understand happening. That. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, even after we do that, there's still the idea that the Sixers really haven't disclosed much uh, information about you know the severity of the knee contusion, and I don't know how you get a contusion from a hyperextension, but you know these are things that uh, hopefully will will pan out over the course of the next few days, uh, and and favorably. 
God willing, everyone. Um, I did want to bring up one thing though, uh, Kyle, which is your thoughts before we end, uh, two, two things. Um, who's the uh, biggest, actual biggest Sixers fan at Liberty Ballers, number one. And number two, uh, your thoughts on Raise the Cat, the uh, Sixers yes. trending biggest Actual selfish. biggest Sixers fan. Wait, are we talking like just among the editorial staffers? Or are we talking the community members as well? Uh, I want to know like of the of the staff, of the people who are the the voices of Liberty Ballers, who is the actual in your in Oh god. Oh yeah. I mean I know they're all big, but there's got to be a, a pantheon here too. See, you know, I don't know them. that I can uh, I mean Michael Levin has put so much into that <laughs> site and this team for longer than I have, so I, I might I might have to defer to him. He doesn't have the same amount of time as he used to 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 blog and do all that stuff, but I, I think his dedication to, I believe he was recently in, uh, I want to say in like Hawaii or something with his girlfriend and was watching the Sixers play while he was there instead of being out and enjoying the sights and sounds there. So that's certainly something I've never done while I'm on vacation. I tend to have a no Sixers policy while I'm traveling. So maybe give my, my hat tip to him there. Um, Fair. as the, what, so what was the raise the cat thing? What are my thoughts on it? Is that what you want to so know? Real quick, yeah, what, yeah. real quick, let me see if I can understand exactly what this is. So at one point in an Instagram picture, Ben Simmons posted a picture of his cat. And then there was some fan who you interviewed that started to just raise it and made it a hashtag and it picked up. And so after every win, it's just fans raising their cat. There's got to be more to this story than that. Am I, am I summing this up right? I mean, there is nothing more to this story. Okay. You're, talk, you're, you're, you're talking to the, uh, or talking about a fan base that took the words "the process" and turned it into a whole movement. I think this "raise the cat" phenomenon is just another example of the ability of Philadelphia fans and a specific sect of Philadelphia fans to turn a a small thing into a, a giant movement and. I don't. I have not necessarily been a part of it. I don't have a cat. I like cats, but I'm allergic to them. But mm. I, I, any any way that Sixers fans can turn um, an Instagram post from one of their favorite players into a fun post game movement is uh, yeah. is a okay with me, despite the fact that it just confuses me that it exists at all. Well, it's so bizarre. Like, there's nothing to it. So Ben Simmons tweets tweeted yesterday. Someone tells me how Raise the Cat started. So would that be your answer to Ben Simmons? That that's how Raise the Cat started? Yeah, it's he started it, and I think he got <laughs> he got bombarded by Philadelphia fans when he said it. Like, we're just like calling him Dad, which you guys know that's like a Twitter thing for famous people. Like, we're we're on. Oh yeah, if you Wait, ever what? look at. Look at when Kanye West tweets. The first reply is almost always "Dad." Just the de- internet is a nothing really more bizarre than that. Place. Yes, I, so I feel like I'm of- so old and I don't know what this <laughs> is. Wow, well, that just shows you I spend too much time on it that I know I so. that this is a thing. Um, but yeah, so you'll see a lot of people replying to Ben Simmons, aka Dad, to them. We're just honoring you and things like that. It's very, very That's odd. So wow. bizarre. He hasn't even played yet. <laughs> wow. I'll say this, though. This is just further proof that the Sixers are 2017's like NBA or professional sports franchise. They just they get the social game, in a, in a, and so does uh, Liberty Liberty Ballers and all of you guys. Uh, you understand the the social sphere very well, and that's important for teams to build these fan bases up well, again. But they're not doing it. This is this is Sixers fans. What? 
This is the fans. No, I know it's the Sixers fans. I'm well aware, but like, uh, there's the attendance is now speaking to the same types of radical passion that uh, the online mm. uh, crowd has, and that's great. There's people there again, like seventeen thousand, you know, sixteen thousand plus a game. Um, They're getting flexed into national TV. Oh, yeah, I saw Friday that. Nights. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy. Against Houston too, a great showcase to get completely destroyed. So yeah, hopefully James be- Harden doesn't drop like fifty points and. 15 assists they, they double yeah, check right. to make sure that wasn't a back-to-back right i would be really embarrassing if no they he's put... it's, there's a game the next day but and okay. will be playing I all believe, right so hopefully his first game back friday night but or not i'm fine if he doesn't play too i'm on the record if he doesn't play the rest of the season i'm fine that's okay you've we know what we've got you've seen enough ben have you uh raised your cat uh, i have not i have not raised uh winnie uh, yet but uh i do intend to get on it man yeah, I'll get on that. We was, gotta film you. I was it. off. Uh, I had a, you know, I was off. I was off at a very nice you know, march yesterday here in New York City. So it was, uh, it was busy. It's busy. Okay. Well, they play again Tuesday. They play. Uh, who do they play? They play someone good. I think the Clippers. Oh, I think oh. they win. Yeah. Well, the Clippers are injured, so I expect to see you uh, filmed raising Winnie to the sky uh, and then yes. showing everyone that the key to being good on the internet is to raise your cats after victories. <laughs> this is a weird world we live in. You got to build on the success. Uh, very interesting. I'm, you know, it's a kind of a possum tradition though, I must say. Oh man. No, no. Good work. <laughs> All right. I, well, on that, on that awful, but awful I'm... pun. <laughs> you had a great pun earlier in this podcast on that awful pun. We'll wrap this up. Kyle, uh, thanks for, for coming on, man, and thanks for contributing so much uh, awesome content to the the Sixers uh, internet at large, and, and specifically for your work with uh, with Liberty Ballers, man. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Hope to talk to you guys again soon. Yeah, awesome. We'll have you on before the uh, we preview the Sixers first round playoffs uh, okay. matchup. Sounds yeah, good to me. How do you think? Uh, how do you think Embiid's going to guard LeBron? Uh, <laughs> very carefully. <laughs> okay, with All bubble right. wrapping. Yes. Okay. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Preda, as always, man, thanks for stomaching a, a Sixers podcast. Dude. We'll do a Wizards uh, one soon because they're uh, good also again. Uh, yeah. Until next time, everybody. <laughs> what, what what Mike said. No, they're what? good. They are good. I'm still mad about uh, the Morris's twins uh, pushing off on the Oh, yeah. Last night, the buzzer beater. Sorry about bad. that. A little uh, salty. But, yeah. You guys are firmly positioned in the middle of the playoffs now. So. That is so exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait to be in the 4-5 game and then get drilled by Cleveland if we win. Uh, with that beaming optimism to end this actually optimistic Sixers podcast uh, until next time the limited upside podcast Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more.